Familiarity breeds contempt. Okay, you've heard it before. I, I, I know I've said it before. Familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes the contempt isn't so much derision or the fact that I despise whatever I'm familiar with, although that's... Sometimes the contempt reveals itself in carelessness or just a lack of attention to detail. You know, a couple weeks ago we saw one of these videos from the perspective of Mary's mother, and now Joseph here. And what these do for me, I trust they do it for all of you, is that it makes the familiar maybe a little more personal. It causes us to think more carefully through the story. That if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up in a good and godly home, it's so familiar as to make us careless. To cause an inattention to detail. On the farm, I work around PTOs all the time. Jared, everyone else, and it's just there. And it's not that I don't respect the damage that that can do. I just don't think about it. Until you have a close call or you see one of your kids doing something not smart and then you realize, that's my fault because I haven't shown them the care that needs to be taken around that essential yet dangerous piece of equipment. And growing up, hearing my grandpa read Luke 2 every year, hearing my dad read Luke 2 every year, hearing my pastor read Luke 2 every year, I know it, I've got it, I've heard it, I can tell it better than you can read it. Maybe I'm alone in the contempt or the carelessness that crept in surrounding Christ's birth. And a number of years ago, many more than I think it was, I'm sure, I don't know the how or the why, I just started reading Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2, at the beginning of October and asking and praying that I wouldn't take this lightly. And to ask for a different perspective as I think through Christ's birth. And this year, it has struck me what it cost both Mary and Joseph, to agree to this, to being mother and stepfather to the Son of God. 
what it costs them to say yes. Now, it costs nobody more than Jesus for all of this to take place. I can't get my head wrapped around all that it cost him. I just can't. I... I think I can get a handle on what it cost Mary and Joseph. And over the past three months, as I've thought through this, different things keep coming to mind. It's like, oh, I'm sure they thought this wasn't part. I I didn't sign up for this part. Oh, but you did. In Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, We read now that the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called him Jesus. First century Israel, the betrothal or the engagement was one, it's probably an arranged marriage between the families. Joseph's a fine young man, an up-and-coming carpenter, businessman, he'll make your daughter a wonderful wife. And arrangements are made. The wedding, there wasn't a set day for it to take place at just six to 12 months down the road. At which point, the groom-to-be begins to prepare his home to bring his wife into it. He was responsible for the wedding feast, and I don't know how much of that he did. I don't know if it was any more than what I did concerning our wedding. I showed up. But he was to prepare, ready the home. And when the home was ready, he and his groomsmen would go to the bride's house, take her away to where the feast would take place, and if you're a wealthy family, this might go on for days. If you're of more humble means as Mary and Joseph were, this was a day that they anticipated, that they looked forward to.
In Luke chapter 1, we get a, a fuller picture of what Mary heard, what she saw, what she was told by the angel. She's told that her cousin Elizabeth is going to have a child, your old cousin Elizabeth. And I don't know if Mary trying to figure out how do I tell my folks, how do I tell Joseph, why don't I go visit Elizabeth? Maybe she can help me sort all this out. Or maybe she did tell her folks and she did tell Joseph and then, well, it's just a good time to get away for a little bit. I don't know. In either case, she goes and spends three months with her cousin. And when she comes home, there is no hiding the fact that she's in the baby way. And whether she had told anybody or not, now they get told. Nazareth is a town. Well, a village. Historians, archaeologists tell us at most the footprint of what they've been able to uncover would have held no more than 200 people. More than likely 75 to 100 lived there. And they're probably all related some way, shape, or form. And they all know everybody's business. And they're all anticipating the wedding feast because they're all going to be there. And they all know that Mary's been gone and now she comes back. And there's a baby on the way. Was it Joseph? She meets somebody else while she was gone? We don't know anything about what happened when she told her parents. And even if they responded as graciously as humanly possible, she still would have seen the hurt and the disappointment and the disbelief in their eyes. And that would have hurt. And when she told Joseph, we, we don't know how he initially responded, but we know he didn't believe her. We see it here in Matthew. And she would have seen the disbelief and the hurt in his eyes. It cost her something. And then Joseph goes home and he's got options. He's not without options. The law states that if you're caught in adultery, you can be brought up on charges and brought out for a public execution, a public stoning. How often that would have taken place? I don't know. Would it have been an option in this case? I, it was an option. How realistic it would have been, I don't 
It, it was an option. It's first century Israel. And the way the culture operated then is not much different than it would operate now in the Middle East or Asia or really anywhere outside of the Western world. It's all based on shame and face. It's based on honor and reputation. And if you do something to dishonor me, or cause others to question my reputation, it's up to me to save face. My kids have done something to dishonor the family name. An honor killing may be in order. Joseph has already lost face. He stands to lose more depending on the decision he makes. His standing, his reputation. That's not the only option he has. He has the option of divorce. And this, in first century Israel, divorce was a pretty easy thing if you're a man. Ridiculously easy thing. There was no cottage industry for divorce lawyers to make a good living. If I want to divorce my wife for any reason at all, it really didn't matter. She burnt the corn. That's grounds for a divorce. It isn't, Nick. I see you nodding. <laughs> you take a piece of paper, and on that piece of paper, you deliver your writ of divorce, your certificate of divorce. I, Joseph, divorce you, Mary. And you deliver that in the presence of two witnesses, and the marriage is over. And if you really want to save face, if you really want to protect your honor, you go deliver that in the marketplace where there are maximum witnesses. And you hire someone that's got a really big voice that can announce it for everyone around to hear. And what Joseph decided on, as we see in Matthew chapter 1, he says, we're going to do this quietly. So maybe he and one of his brothers are two of the guys that were going to stand with him at the wedding. We're going to go to Mary's home, her father's house. Just do this quietly. You go on, you live a nice life. I hope you the best. I hope the best for you, and I'll go on and I'll have a nice life. And I can imagine as it usually is when there's a big decision to be made and you finally realize this is the course of action I'm going to take, he drifts off to sleep. Somewhat at peace because at least the decision's been made. And there he sees an angel, the angel of the Lord. Hey, Joseph, what she said really... That's <laughs> true. So don't fear. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about losing face. Don't worry about what this is going to cost you socially. Take her as your wife. 
And when the child is born, name him Jesus. And when he woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So did he wait till morning? Or did he head over there in the dark and wake everybody up? I don't know, it doesn't say. When he woke, he didn't hesitate. And from there, he takes on himself and with Mary as they go to the market, the quiet or maybe even not so quiet whispers. It's not a big town. The side-eye glances or just the open stares, the snide comments. the questions. He loses face, he loses standing. It cost him dearly to be the stepfather of Jesus, to take him in and raise him as his own. They forego the long-anticipated wedding feast. The day they've been looking forward to celebrating with friends and family and neighbors. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 1, we read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and line of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with his child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. They've already given up much, and now this stupid Caesar wants everybody to go pay tax. And so whether Joseph, and I can't imagine that everybody showed up to go. I'm guessing there was what was considered head of households arrived. And maybe Joseph was the only son or the oldest son or the whatever son. And it's your responsibility to go on behalf of the family and represent us and pay the tax that's due. And it's like, but come on now, my, my wife's 36, 37, 38 weeks along. If you do the math, that's close. And Bethlehem is 90 miles away. And it's not like 90 miles to Watertown away. It's 90 miles walking. And if I have three really good days, 
I can get there by myself. But then I probably should be around for the birth of our first son, our first child. But how do I make her come 90 miles with me? I don't, you know, you just consider all, talk about logistics. And again, you're not jumping in the car and driving to Watertown. And so 90 miles, probably six days, maybe more, to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you arrive, and we're not talking Motel 6. An inn was just a big open space where everybody found a piece of floor to pull up on. That would have been the best case scenario. And they don't even get that. In some ways, it might have been better. You're, I don't know how many of you ladies would want to deliver in a room full of strangers. I'm guessing zero. But in any case, they show up, and while there, here's the baby. Away from family, away from support, away from anybody you know. It's your first time around, so you don't know what's really going on. And I can still remember when Raquel was born, and Dr. Bessie, who delivered, I don't know, thousands of babies in his career, and all I could think in my head was, don't be that guy, don't be that guy. The guy that asked him if he really knows what's going on here. <laughs> I don't think it came out of my mouth, but it was rolling through my head. I was biting my tongue hard. And here's Joseph, who maybe pulled a sheep when he was a kid. I don't know. It costs them a lot. It costs them dearly. But as they're in Bethlehem and they realize, hey, nobody really knows us. Nobody's looking at us sideways here. Nobody's reminding us how you got ahead of the game here. This ain't a bad place to live. So they settle in. Maybe we'll raise a family here. And then... We see in Matthew 2, their lives are interrupted with a huge caravan of wealthy Persians bringing gifts. And then another dream. Uh, it's time to move on. You need to go to Egypt for your health and the health of the baby. And it says Joseph got up immediately and they left. 450 miles to Egypt. Five or six weeks.
Now, is Jesus one month old? Is he a year old? Is he two years old? We don't know. You're walking 450 miles with a baby. You're leaving friends and people who have become your family to start over in Egypt. And then after a couple years, you get another dream. All right, you can go back. Herod's dead. It's safe. And I can imagine them making plans. Well, I can't wait to get back to Bethlehem and see the old friends and, and start over again there. And no, no, not Bethlehem, because Herod's son is there and there might be some residual bad blood or fear. Go back to Nazareth. Oh, man. That's 500 miles, not 450. <laughs> And so five or six weeks, and by this time, and we know from Matthew 13 that Jesus had at least four brothers, and I'm assuming three sisters, because these brothers were named. So I'm sure that there was a brother or sister in tow at this point, or maybe two, so it's not just... So now it's 500 miles back to Nazareth, I didn't sign up for this, angel. <laughs> if we're raising the Son of God, shouldn't it be a lot easier than this? And I know, as I would assume all of us understand and know from experience, marriage and children always require a certain level of sacrifice. We all give up things for family, whether it be dreams or entertainment or recreation. I, I no longer hunt 12 weekends out of the year or weeks at a time. And I don't know if I really don't care. But what Mary and Joseph gave up wasn't entertainment. It wasn't recreation. It wasn't necessarily hopes and dreams. It, it was standing. It was reputation. It was any thought of convenience or a normal life. It cost them dearly. Their sacrifice was no small thing. It was no easy path. And it most certainly wasn't their best life now. And yet I dare say, both of them would say it was worth all of it. And we'd do it all over again. And so the question I leave with you is not one to poke anybody in the eye or to stand on your toes because it's the same question I've been asking myself since October. What will it cost you to follow Jesus in the coming year? 
What are you willing to sacrifice to obey him more fully in the coming year? There are some things we can anticipate and offer. There are some things over the past three months, it's like, this is what it's going to cost me. This is what I will give up or change in the not just in the coming year, but I've already started. Those are the things that I've thought through. But there will be things, no doubt, because we all know life is uncertain. There will be things put in front of me. Am I going to follow Jesus in obedience even in this? What sacrifice is worthy of the king? Any and all. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.